Hi, this is Hawkesbury Gazette journalist Connor Hickey. Today on the Hawkesbury Gazette podcast, um, I interviewed Councillor Nathan Sampronio. He's in the Liberal Party, um, sits on Hawkesbury Council, and he. Uh, we talked about the best way to engage with levels of government, um, in his case, council, but also state and federal issues. Um, and so that interview ran about half an hour and it's going to be just after this message. Before we go on, just say that um, if you like the Hawkesbury Gazette podcast and you haven't already, you can subscribe on iTunes or SoundCloud. And we recorded this on a Wednesday, which means the Gazette was out. It's $1.80. You can grab it from our office or you can get it from a supermarket or a news agent or a uh, petrol station. Um, only $1.80 um, and there's a lot of good local news in there. So please grab a copy um, and here's the interview. I have in the room with me here today um, one of the new councillors for Hawkesbury Council, uh, Nathan Sampronio. Welcome to the program or the podcast, I should say. Thank you very much, Connor. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, And so today we're going to talk about um, how you can engage with council if you want to get something changed. So um, I have written a piece which is yet to be published in the Hawkesbury Gazette, but will be at some stage in the future about how you can engage with a number of different levels of government. Um, And Nathan... um, uh, you know, gave me his sort of opinion on how one should go about getting something changed if you don't like it. Um, and really it all came about because um, we see a lot of people say on our Facebook page in particular, you know, oh, bloody council this, bloody council that, um, you know, why don't they do this? They should do that. Um, but I think that's probably as far as they go. They sort of air their frustrations on, on social media or perhaps to their friends and then leave it at that. And that's really not a good way to get anything done. Um, and so we've got Nathan in here to tell us about how you can actually do that. Um, so Nathan, um, just before we start, you're, you're obviously, this is your first term. You'd be a councillor for nearly two years, I think now. Just tell us a little bit about how you got here. Oh, look, it's been, um, it's been tremendous fun. When people ask me, oh, how's the council thing going? The answer that I've settled on is that I'm having more fun than at any time in my life, which isn't to say that I'm not taking the job seriously. I take the job very seriously. Uh, but I've resolved never to take myself too seriously. And I suppose because I've been a lifelong resident in the area, I thought, well, what on earth do I bring to to local government? There's been a succession of sometimes unremarkable people that inhabit that space in council. At the end of their term, you don't really know what they stood for, let alone what they voted for, and then they disappear into a well-deserved obscurity. And I thought, well, you know, I'm, I'm just part of that procession, but what do I bring to local government? And, and my answer was, I'm a great big geek. I'm a teacher by vocation, but I'm also a great enthusiast for technology and the idea of what makes a good community. And um, my studies over the years have ranged widely over what it is that makes a strong community. And the things that answer that question are fairly obvious. I mean, there's um, there's a sense of engagement, a sense of ownership, a sense of participation, a sense that the local government, which is the level of government that's closest to the people and has quite consequential impacts on the community in terms of their quality of life and the facilities and the services that are provided, should be seen to be engaging. And then I came on to council and I looked at the way in which council is engaging at the moment and realised that it wasn't very good. Um, So, for example, when I came on to council, 
council had no social media presence whatsoever. Which, you know, in 20, uh, well, would have been 2016 when you came on, but nonetheless, social media has become, whether we like it or not, a big part of, of everybody's life. A absolutely. And the thing is, uh, there are certain processes in council that mandate uh, a process of community consultation. There's a requirement that we are demonstrating that we go out to the community and we show them that we want their opinions. And that equally, we're not playing lip service, is that that input might actually affect council policy or decision making. So what happened is I saw us go out and do consultation on our community strategic plan or on the proposal to vary the rating structure or to apply for a special rate variation. And we did all of the traditional things. We put notices in your paper. We put surveys in with people's rates notices. We conduct phone surveys. We conduct community meetings in halls around the community. And then you tally up the total of the engagement and you realise that it's about 0.5 of a percent. Yeah, right. Because all the things that you said, except for reading the paper, really don't apply to me. I don't, I don't um, get a rates notice. I'm not a rate payer. Um, I read the paper, obviously, because I write it. But I, I would probably be, um, uh, you know not a standard rule for someone my age. I would say most people will certainly read things online. Um, and some of the other, you know, I don't have a telephone. Um, I have a mobile telephone, but mm -hmm. phone surveys usually mm -hmm. only call uh, landline telephones. And so I don't have one of those. Um, mm -hmm. And so there's a whole lot of things where you basically can't talk to me. Um, and I'm I'm a resident of the community too. My um, opinion on things is no less important than, than um, someone who does have a telephone, for example, or who does have a rates notice. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's just, that's a, I'm glad you, you mentioned all those things because yeah, it's just a way that council can genuinely try to be talking to the community, but they're, they're always people that are going to fall through the gap. Absolutely. I, I think, I think council is making an honest effort and I give some credit to the staff on council who have responsibility for uh, carriage of our community engagement process. They spare no effort. But the thing is, you have to meet people where they are. So if you're holding community meetings on a weeknight, there's a substantial number of people who are never going to go to a meeting like that because they're just getting home from work at six o'clock, yeah. probably dragging themselves over North Richmond Bridge. And when they come home, the last thing they want to do is turn themselves around and go out to a, another community meeting, any kind of community meeting. But they do increasingly get their news from non-traditional sources, and that includes social media. So when I came on to council, and I'm not, I'm not alone, I mean, I'm, I, I'm not the first person to have ever tried this, but I'd like to think of myself as, an, as, as being in the vanguard. I'm, to this moment, the only councillor on Hawkesbury Council that has a website and who blogs regularly and who tries to write in a thoughtful way about the issues that confront this community and then sends that material out through social media and invites the community to comment on that. I'm also the only councillor that's making videos by way of a video blog and I have a YouTube channel and from time to time a really big issue will come up like the road corridors or um, the rating structure or um, things of that kind and I, I make a video and I try and articulate a view and educate the public and then again say look it's not all about my view what do you all think and that really does inform my decision making. Uh, that's one of the things I, I quite um, liked about the former mayor Kim Ford is that 
Um, you could ring Kim Ford up and look, you know, he was in the Liberal Party. He, there were definitely, he wanted to vote one way on some things and one way on another. And there was no way he was ever going to change his mind. But he, he wasn't afraid to state the other side of the argument and then point out why he thought there were flaws in, in that argument. Um, and and I, I always found that that was quite good um, because, you know, obviously as a journalist, we are trying to get both sides of the argument. There often are two sides, um, more often than not. Um, and certainly, um, yeah, it was just refreshing to hear someone come out and actually say, oh, you know, the Labor Party or, or the Greens might say this about, about X, but here's what I say to that. Um, and it just it made me sort of feel that this is someone that, that isn't just kind of spouting off the party line. Look, there's, there's a responsibility on the part of elected representatives to be deliberative and not to be dogmatic on many issues. I think the public find that distasteful. We're not here merely to spout our own views, but to represent the broader community. And it's been really challenging for me. So, for example, uh, I'm from the Oakville area, and the question of development at that end of our city is really fraught because we've got the northwest growth sector hard up against our boundary, indeed jumping over the boundaries of our LGA, and the vineyard area is now going to begin to transform out of all recognition. And in my own community, there are people who have really passionate views saying, we're being taxed out of existence. We can't afford our council rates anymore. Our land value is going up based on the speculative possibility that we're going to be able to develop and subdivide. And some people want to cash in. Some people are simply driven by necessity to make some use of the asset that they have tied up in their land. And then other people will fight to their dying breath to preserve the semi-rural amenity and the five-acre blocks that typify that area, including a lot of really prime agricultural land, and I'm caught in the middle. And my heart says, well, I want to preserve things. I want to save things as the way they've been. But the pragmatist in me says, well, some change is inevitable, and my job isn't merely to enforce my view. It's to ask the community what they think and to take in a range of views, even if it's a, even if they're opposite ends of the spectrum, kind of tearing the community apart in a sense. And I'm there trying to make good decisions on the part of council. And now, so something like um, the Northwest Growth Sector and, and all those sorts of things, they're, they're state government issues, and so we'll try to avoid them here. But so let's say someone had a, a genuine local government issue in their area um, that they wanted to change. What would be the best way to go about this? How would you suggest... Um, well, members of the community do well, that. Okay, then. So there are, there are procedural ways in which you can approach council on any matter. You can approach the desk at the council chambers in Windsor, or you can contact them online or, or call them up. And in an ideal world, you'll be satisfied by the response that you get. And there are metrics that council employs to make sure that we are uh, at least moving towards best practice in terms of the way that we are responsive to requests from the community. That said, anecdotally, a lot of people don't have good stories to tell and then they end up contacting their elected representatives saying, I've had no luck in getting an answer to what should be a simple question, can you help me? And that, I think, is what takes up a lot of mine and my colleagues' times is in assisting ratepayers interface with council when the response was inadequate or delayed or there were crossed wires of, of, of some kind. People need to think of their elected representatives as, as problem fixers and no 
councillor should ever begrudge uh, a full inbox or, or, or constant phone calls because it's our job. Uh, we, are, we are paid to do this and we have a responsibility to do this well and with a, a good spirit, I suppose you'd say. Um, regardless of what the request is, we should take that in, try and pass it to see what the real issue is and then take the appropriate action. As you yourself have pointed out, some of these issues cross jurisdictions. So if a person complains about a pothole on a state road, it doesn't mean I'm going to shut that inquiry down, but it does mean that I need to lodge the inquiry with the state member or with the RMS or through council to the appropriate department. Um, in the same way, these larger questions of development, council has some agency in determining what our future looks like, but we're not the sole determinant and the Department of Planning has a much bigger say than we do. Yeah, and I know when, when people call, um, we often take calls from people probably much like you who have an issue that they think council hasn't resolved to their satisfaction. Um, and obviously one of the avenues they can take is to call the Hawkesbury Gazette, you know, and obviously I'd encourage anyone to do that if they have an issue. Um, but at the same time, I, I always say to people, listen, have you spoken to one of the local councils about this? Because ultimately we, you know, the Hawkesbury Gazette can write a story um, and expose, you know, maybe expose something bad or, or something that's, you know, not, not really that terrible, but is certainly an inconvenience to someone's life. Uh, but at the end of the day, we're not the ones actually making the decision. You guys are. You and your 11 other colleagues um, are the ones that can vote and really compel the council staff to do something if they, you know, if they have perhaps been reluctant to do it or, or haven't been doing it in the a fashion that that a resident or community wants wants it to be done and so if anyone does have an issue i really would encourage them to contact someone like like yourself and i often give your name actually um because it you know if i editorialize here the um it's quite obvious you are very enthusiastic about what you do um and it's not just me who says that there's plenty of counselors your fellow counselors who have said that to me about you um, but you know, if, if you don't want to talk to someone from, um, the liberal party, which is who you're from, you know, there are, there are other councillors out there, but I would definitely encourage people to at least try it. It can't hurt to try. Um, and that's what I, I hate hearing people say that, oh, you know, all those politicians are all the same. No, they're not actually all the same. There are plenty of bad politicians. There's plenty of good politicians. There's plenty that fall in, in the middle, but you should at least have a, have a crack and see, you know, you might actually be surprised. I'm, I'm, I'm flattered by the affirmation. And, and the thing is, um, I would say all of my colleagues are in this game for the right reason. Uh, I think everybody is motivated fundamentally by a desire to represent their community and to make the Hawkesbury a better place and to bring to the chamber um, the particular point of view that, that, that brought them in on the wave of support that allowed them to become elected. Um, uh, if councillors do or don't do a good job it's 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 to do with something other than their intent uh, i think everybody's intent is is is, is quite good um, whether they're able to discharge their function with the same degree of enthusiasm or <laughs> or, or competence I, i'm i'm simply not going to go there when i asked when i spoke to you about how people should engage with council i said you know what's some of the things or what's a, an example you can point to where someone came to you and you got them to you basically resolve their problem for them so um you know what's your what's your response to that i guess what what um, did you say well uh, you know I, I could quote individual cases i suppose but uh, I, i'd prefer to speak more in the broad i can think of a number of da's 
but I'd, I'd feel a little reluctant to kind of name names like that in the sense that it's, it's not really about that. I mean, there was a person who'd lodged a DA uh, for a development that was eminently sensible. They wanted to put a secondary dwelling on their land, which is a, a legal thing to do, but they were turned down because of their proximity to the RAF base and there are noise issues that I remember this an, one. as yep. an impediment to uh, where, you, where you can put certain structures. The reason that the family wanted to put a secondary dwelling, kind of a granny flat, on their house was because a family member had epilepsy and grandma had offered to sell up her property in another suburb and then move in with the family to provide some family support. Just the kind of thing that council should think, what a very sensible idea, let's not stand in the way. Council's recommend, council staff's recommendation was to reject this. And I remember that. They were quite based, firm on that. Based on the legality of the, the application that had been made. And uh, I was able to represent the concerns of that applicant and uh, managed to get that approved. I personally didn't manage to get that approved. But the thing is that... You convinced enough councillors to... Well, you were part of the discussion. That's that right. convinced enough councillors to... Similarly, it. out in the pit town community... Pitt Town is changing rapidly. The development that's occurred and is going to continue to occur there is, is, is quite disruptive to that local community. And while that's going in, there are half-formed roads, there are contributions that have been pledged towards certain infrastructure improvements and community facilities that just haven't been spent yet. And the Pitt Town Progress Association made an, an outreach to councillors to go on a bus tour and to be guided around the area and to be shown all of the things that needed to be done. As a result of that, we were able to compile an, uh, an action list of about 90 things that council could or should be looking at, and we're working our way through that now. And I really felt good about that exercise because it was a community group cooperatively reaching out and engaging with their elected representatives to give them a better awareness of these issues that are rather hard to convey in an email or bloodless report, yeah. uh, and then to say, ah, all right then, okay, I can see why this is important now, and then to begin to um, agitate to council staff to move on this with some priority. And council staff have this, you know, um, difficult task of trying to divine what priority things ought to have, and it's this continuous process of negotiation between the chamber and individual elected representatives and council staff and they'll come to us with a program of works and we'll say well actually our community is telling us that this is a little more urgent or you shouldn't be sealing this road nobody goes down there all the locals are saying that you should seal this road because it's far more trafficked and um, I love engaging in that process and I love seeing results on behalf of the community. Yeah and, and I mean I the Pitt Town Progress Association is something that I often um, would, um, I may or may not have mentioned it on the podcast before, but I know they're someone that Dominic Perrottet gets along quite well with. And he's, he said to me um, that they're sort of the, uh, you know, the, the pinnacle of a, of a community group in the sense that they know how they, they've got something that they want to get done and they don't, they don't jump up and down and, and sort of, you know, create protests and, and, and sort of they go about things the right way is basically what he's saying and, and they do it in a very measured way and they say here's what we want here is a number of legitimate reasons why we want this and it's not just we're saying this there's actually you know they go dig up some research they maybe mm -hmm. dig up old gazette articles or something else and and they really lay out a good case and they don't and like 
they'll they'll hold the guys to it if, if there's a promise Absolutely made. They but... will. And, and, and that community group, you're, you're quite right, is, is extremely good at articulating that community's uh, concerns and needs and engaging with elected representatives, not merely local but state and federal, to, to achieve good outcomes for that community. So, for example, they've been agitating continuously for the um, completion of the Pitt Town Bypass. That's been on the cards since 1948. And I'm glad to say that in this term of government that we will finally see shovels in the ground on that project. So we're talking about state government here, just to be that's clear. A state, yeah, that, yeah, that, yeah. That, that's a state government issue. But, I mean, the local government has a role in, in liaising with, because there are roads that are state roads that will become local roads and yep. issues about easements and things and questions that only councils can answer. But I think what you've flagged is a really broader and more important point about how you can engage in a way that achieves results. And you and I, I think, would recognise that community debate and opinion has become extremely polarised, not merely at the global level, where people at opposite ends of the political party find it very hard to work together for the common good. They'd rather slag each other off. Yeah. And we see that a little here at the local level as well. I would and, say a little bit more than a little, but yeah. Yeah, maybe. Well, here's the thing. I mean, I like getting along with people. And it's true, I'm a Liberal councillor, and I, I, I wear that hat proudly, but not all the time and on every topic of conversation. I don't think people really look at whether you're a Liberal or a Labour or a Green or an Independent. They just want you to represent your community well and get on with the job. And furthermore, they expect you to get along with the others so that as a chamber you can work collaboratively instead of, you know, fold your arms and decide that you're not going to talk to somebody. That just doesn't work at all. And I think people will, the voters will punish people if they, they're seen as being too petty like that. I think it's one of the reasons why the last council gained such a reputation for being so um, uh, dysfunctional. Um, and uh, certainly I'm getting along well with my colleagues and enjoy that process. Um, but in terms of the community groups that are out there, debates become very, very polarised. So you take a genuinely contentious issue like Windsor Bridge. Yeah, which the, is sure to get anyone riled up. That's and, right. And, yeah. Absolutely. There are haters out there on both sides. And um, some, none of us are above criticism. But some of the criticism is cruel and some of it's personal. And some of it's completely unhelpful in achieving the aims and goals of the organisation that's putting forward that view. So if you constantly slag off local councillors or the council as a whole or state representatives or, or otherwise, I don't think you're going to achieve the objective that you wanted to. But if you engage and you put a compelling argument and you remain civil, then you're far more likely to win the day. And let's be clear, like that's not always going to work. Um, obviously, the Windsor Bridge. There's a, there's a couple of different groups involved with the Windsor Bridge, and and uh, I, I actually spoke to Corb um, for this article that I that I've written, um, and Harry Terry specifically. Now they um, are so much more sedate than um, some other um, you know some other groups, but you know they, they really they haven't got what they want um, at the end of the day, and 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 there's no you know I, I guess we should also say really that you can engage with with councillors and and politicians and get a 
desirable outcome and sometimes you can't but um, the point is you really as far as I'm concerned is you should try you should at least exhaust all those avenues and even if you don't get the outcome you know it's, it's never you're never going to be a perfect world and I'm sure you would know you, you sort of alluded to it before that you, you can't please everyone and it's actually something you find out in the media very quickly um, is that you write a story and you'll get 17 different people telling you 17 different reasons why you're wrong or you're right um, on the particular story you've got and you know the the there's often you know accusations of bias for either from p political people or from people just in the community and then you just sort of wonder like where did you get that from um because i don't care one way or the other like sort of where this goes i'm just reporting that this happened and um so it's it's very hard to please everyone and, and really um oh, it, it, it's absolutely impossible yeah, impossible yeah. To, to please to please everybody on the windsor bridge question i've always confessed openly that i feel torn about this so for example on the one hand um, I think that if this is the kind of decision that we only make less than once in a century, we've got a real obligation to get it right. This decision forces another century or, or longer of heavy traffic through the heart of a historic square in Windsor. And to my mind, that's a mistake. But it's also true that my opinion counts for very little because it's a state government decision. <laughs> and the state government appears to be quite dogged in pursuing this project and building that bridge. So my role then becomes getting the best outcome out of that decision that has been made that was never in my hands to begin with and to say, right, well, what can we do? Well, I don't necessarily believe that the construction of this bridge represents the, the rape and pillage of the heritage of Thompson Square. I think unifying Thompson Square and I think spending a substantial sum of money on new landscaping and, and street furniture and um, landscaping is, is actually going to create quite a pleasant space and people will be pleasantly surprised at the end just how good it looks. But it's still true that it's short-sighted and that we would have been better off with a bypass. But we're not going to get a bypass. We're going to get a bridge in Windsor and hopefully we're going to get another bridge somewhere between North Richmond and Windsor to uh, address the traffic problems that are currently occurring at North Richmond Bridge. And again, Governments come and go, but only this government seems to have the wherewithal to run the state well enough to have the money in the kitty to even contemplate these projects, to build a new bridge at Windsor when it's manifestly needed, to build a bridge elsewhere, probably near North Richmond, because it's vastly overdue. Um, so government, the state government particularly has a vision. Sometimes they get it wrong. I think they were dead wrong on the question of corridors, and as a Liberal, I and my other Liberal colleagues were perfectly happy to to stick our neck out and to support our local community and to make the community's views very, very clear to Dominic Perrottet that we needed to rethink this. And it was. That's part of the robust, the robust process that we engage in, in politics. Yeah, and I think to, you know, to, to I suppose do a, bit, a little bit more affirmation, um, I think that's one of the things that I've I've found quite likable about you is that you're actually willing to to speak out against um, the state government on, on certain issues um, given you know obviously the state government is the Liberal Party you're in the Liberal Party and um, obviously when you're in the Liberal Party you're going to agree with a lot of the things they do but I think people really um, anyone like me who is a genuine swinging voter um, when you when we see people such as yourself actually being able to say like you just said before that you know you think the Windsor Bridge thing is a bit short-sighted it's actually quite refreshing um and I think it's a bit more I think it's just easier to like 
people such as yourself like that because you're not just towing the party line even though because quite clearly the state government's got a position on this bridge and you could easily just say well that's what the state government's position is therefore it's my position but you're sort of willing to say well actually there might be a couple of flaws in their plan people often accuse the liberal councillors of towing a party line and we always laugh because nobody ever sits us down and says now nathan this is the party line don't you step out of line nobody ever does that I think we're accorded the ability to think and vote independently. And what we are putting forward, and let's, let's be frank here, this is a very liberal area. Yes. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a safe liberal seat at state level. And there's always a, there's always a good representation of um, liberal councillors on, on Hawkesbury Council, sometimes with an absolute majority, sometimes with just less than an absolute majority. We are still the largest individual block on council, bar none. So when people come to us, we don't think first and foremost about what the party line is. We think about representing our local community. Now, there are particular liberal values. I mean, I'm not suggesting that it doesn't mean anything to be a liberal councillor if we dissent with the state government on this question or that. I mean, I also dissent with the state government on the question of uh, planning panels and IHAPs because I think a lot of those decisions should remain with local governments and shouldn't be taken out of our hands and given to unaccountable and unelected bodies who are now making decisions that previously were within our province. And I'm in very good company. Many Liberal councillors and Liberal-dominated councils around New South Wales have said precisely the same thing. What they do expect of us as Liberals is to say, well, look, if you're a Liberal councillor and it's a state Liberal seat, please sit down with the state member and work cooperatively with them to get a better outcome. And that's exactly what we did with the corridors. Now, Dominic Perrottet was listening to everybody, but I'd like to think that he was listening particularly to his own uh, party colleagues at local government level who were saying, we think this is a bad, we think this is a bad idea too. And I think not only are you making a, a poor planning decision, but you're making a dreadful political decision because there will be a backlash. And there has been a backlash. And the Liberal Party has to cop that on the chin and then work very hard to rebuild that trust with the community. Mm. Um, So now I'm going to get to my final question in a second, but it's just interesting that you made the comment before that no one sort of sits you down and tells you how to vote um, because there's often an accusation... yeah, well, I'll, I'll say, you know, from your, your party about um, two media organisations in particular, the ABC and Fairfax Media. Now, Fairfax Media is the publisher of the Hawkesbury Gazette. And look, I can't speak for the ABC. I've never worked there. I've never worked for the Sydney Morning Herald. I have worked for two separate um, papers with Fairfax Media, one down in Victoria and one here. And no one does, uh, no one sort of sits us down and tells us how to write stories either. So it's uh, it always, I always laugh when I hear that, you know, of the Hawkesbury Gazette must be biased towards the Labor Party or the, you know, the, the Greens or whatever, because you're Fairfax Media. Trust me, I'm, I'm 100% certain that there's not a lot of people in the hierarchy of Fairfax Media that care about that. Um, and certainly they, if they do, they don't, um, they don't come down and tell us how to write our stories. Um, so it's, it's interesting that you, you made that comment because it's often um, sort of something that's, that's leveled at us. Now, the, uh, the final question that I have now, when you, um, when I got you to write or submit, um, you know, your, your ideas on how people should engage with, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, politicians and levels of government. One of the things that you said, which was unique to, well, I don't think I've ever heard it before really, is to join a political party. Now tell me why you think that's a good idea. All right then. So this is, this is the peculiar quirk of democracy in Western countries in this age. It used to be the case that decades ago, 
many, many more people joined political parties, understanding that that was a way in which they could affect uh, policy on the issues that, that concerned them. And it's still true that we live in a largely two-party system, and one party or the other has government 50% of the time, more or less. And yet, we've ceased to become a nation of joiners. And party political membership has fallen from the tens of thousands in previous decades to, you know, around 10,000, yeah. whatever it is now. And um, if you join a political party, I suppose, in a sense, that, that intensifies your ability to influence. I mean, I'd love political parties to be broadly representative of the communities in which they sit. And I believe very genuinely that the Liberal Party still is. I don't believe that the Labor Party is at all, and even less so of the Greens. I think it's uh, beholden to sectional and special interests uh, who don't represent the broader community at all. The Liberal Party, I think, is generally, if I can put it this way, the People's Party. Oh. <laughs> others, others will greatly dissent from that. But here's the broader point. If you join a political party, you can go to an elected politician and you can say, look, I'm not just a voter, I'm a pre-selector. I could sit on a panel of 30 to 40 people and determine your political future as a candidate. And I'm going to sit in judgment about whether you should continue to occupy the role that you currently do. I can promise you, you will have that, you will have that person's undivided attention if you say that. And instead of ranting and railing about the actions of political parties, consider joining one. If you can't beat them, join them. Well, it's not a case of if you can't beat them, join them. It's, it's that you, you have to perceive that the, the, the role, the reason for being of a political party is to provide a way of uh, allowing people to, to influence the quality of candidates that represent them and then the policies that they uh, enact when they're in government. It seems like a very simple thing to understand and yet it's very hard to maintain membership of a political party. And I don't care what your stripes are. The people listening to this podcast, I don't care if you're red, blue, green or brindle. Uh, consider joining a political party and having your say in a way that's far more effective and I can assure you grabs the attention of p politicians far more effectively than if you are merely a voter. <laughs> Yeah, well, and uh, yeah, I was—I found it a very novel thing. I'd, I'd never considered the actually just joining a party. I mean, I'm a journalist, so I I'm probably shouldn't anyway, and I can't imagine they'd let let me in if I tried. But um, yeah, it's—I think it's actually oh, there are plenty of journalists and ex-journalists in in political parties. <laughs> but I mean, uh, if if you wanted to become uh, the state member for Hawkesbury, and I'm Dominic, I'm really not picking on you, but I'm just using this as an example. I was going to use the same example, actually. Okay, so then, but, but, you know, if you wanted to be the state parliamentarian for this area, uh, you know, getting a majority as a Liberal in this area, I wouldn't say it's easy, I'm not saying you should take it for granted, but the thing is, you know, a safe seat is called a safe seat for a reason. Well, what you need to do then is prevail uh, amongst a panel of, say, 100 pre-selectors, and if you have, if you have 51 people in the room, suddenly you've got a seat in Parliament. That's just the blunt reality of the way that political parties work and the way that the political system works. So and you're saying you should just, you know, this is the way it works. Maybe people should consider just getting on board with on the train maybe and, and having a go that way. That, that's right. And th there, there are two principles here. One is that I want political parties. If they are 
going to be in government 50% of the time, one way or the other. I want the political parties that are selecting candidates to have the broadest possible membership, to attract the broadest possible uh, talent as potential candidates uh, and send good people, smart people, into our elected bodies uh, that aren't simply going to be there because they've climbed the greasy pole as a political apparatchik or as a union official or as a staffer or as a policy wonk and we need more teachers and ex-policemen and, and uh, reservists and plumbers and electricians and business people in our elected bodies, local, state and federal, because that's good for the health of our democracy. And the other thing that it does is that it ensures that you know, debate is broad. I mean, we were talking earlier about how a lot of the debate becomes very inflamed in the community. And I've never believed in censoring any kind of debate, because if you censor a debate, you're robbing people of the opportunity of seeing a bad idea lose in a fair fight in the public square. So as far as what people want to express, whether it's online or in print, bring it on, because I will contend with them and I'll put forward my view and then people ultimately will make a judgment. If you simply censor things and say, well, we don't permit that kind of speech, then, you know, it's society itself that suffers. Um, we better leave it there because um, it's probably gone on um, much longer than um, I intended to actually <laughs> when I first started. Um, but look, it's it's been very nice to have you in, Nathan, because uh, like I said before, you know, I, I think it's very clear to anyone who's ever turned up to a council meeting how enthusiastic you personally are about it. Um, and, and also more just because at the end of the day, I, one of the things that that I, one of the reasons I got into journalism is because you wanted to make change. And one of the ways you can make change is actually going and talking to the people that make decisions. Um, luckily for me, I get to do that quite on a, on a regular basis. Um, and, you know, I can tell a politician exactly what I think about something um, <laughs> if I really want to. Um, but it's not as easy for other people. And so, I, you know, I, I guess the, the if any... The thing that someone should take away from this, hopefully, um, is that, you know, you can actually approach um, politicians and, and give your two cents... Um, and there's, you know, there's good ways to do it and there's bad ways to do it. And, and you, you know, you might actually get some positive change in your environment. Absolutely. You, you, people should do that and they should demand of their politicians that they earn their keep. Um, well, look, thank you very much for coming in, Nathan, um, to talk with us on the Hawkesbury Gazette podcast. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Connor.